Parenting is hard. Few of us feel up to the task. The world is shifting, quickly and dramatically. All of us feel the changes affecting our families. The stress and pressure can be intense. We are here to help sort the good and the bad, provide insight and bring hope. Welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. We're so glad you stopped by. Hi, and welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. I am Pastor Brad Mathias. You are. I'm Robert. Your voice cracked when you said I did. It's adolescence late. Yeah. At 50? Yeah. It's a, <clears throat> it's a long process. Or it could be allergies. One or the other. I think. Uh, so, Robert, we've been walking through this season. This, by the way, is our 98th episode, if you can imagine. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, it is. I didn't think I could put up with you that long, but uh, by God's grace. No, I know you'd be okay. Here's a fact. Okay. Important fact. I'm not sure if it's true, but I found it online. So here we go. Oh, it's got to be true then. In ancient Greece, children of wealthy families were dipped in olive oil at birth to keep them hairless throughout their lives. Yeah. You don't do that? No. With your kids? You didn't dip them in olive oil? We didn't do that. I do that with like bread at Olive Garden. But, yeah. uh, you know. I wouldn't admit you go to Olive Garden, first of all. First, Hey, hey. You know, no reason to be a hater. Olive Garden's awesome. Okay. Their, their salad dressing, I buy it and use it on all my salads. So dipping your children in olive oil is not something that you regularly practice. It's not like a breadstick thing? <clears throat> no. Hmm. To keep them hairless. So you did that to mm. your three girls? Yeah. Yeah. I'm calling one of them later. <laughs> So have it's you seriously, bizarre. I mean, I know you've been to Europe a lot. I've been to Italy twice. Mm-hmm. Never heard of this. I this is kind of new to me. Actually. And I have a, a brother-in-law who's Greek and I'm asking him so quickly. So to keep them hairless. What has that got the- to do with olive oil? Or- is our producer, Joey, you're, you're <clears throat> from Italy. What, what is that? This is Greece. I, it's it, close to Italy. Greece is it, it's, Mediterranean. It, sense. No sense. it makes no sense to you either. It's not in your family? That wasn't a tradition or something? No, we never had a pot big enough. <laughs> well, well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Got to have a big pot. That's a good reason. I hadn't thought of that. Bathtub of olive oil is pretty expensive. Yeah. That's... Yes, it is. Well, you know, uh, we're going to break for just a second while the air conditioner runs. We have a jet on approach. Yeah. It's like flying southwest. They're snuggled right in here. Awesome. So uh, other than useless facts like that, mm-hmm. uh, it's been kind of fun having these positive moments, don't you think, this season? It has been. It's been enlightening, Brad. Well, What's your favorite positive thing that you've read? I think the turtles breathing out their butts was pretty funny. See? Yeah, I knew you'd I, like that. I, I have to admit there was a— There was some magic to that. There was <laughs> some <laughs> magic in that. It, yes, it was. Okay. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was great. Did you— uh, I do what I can. Did you have any favorites yourself? I think that would be my favorite, too. Okay, so we both had the same favorite. Yeah. Uh, that's rare. Mm-hmm. Cool. Other than hating Olive Garden, do you do you uh, have any suggestions for Italian? For our, I mean, you're the chef, so where should people eat if they want Italian tonight? Tonight? Tomorrow? Um, tonight? Well, this is not just Nashville, so um, I don't – that's a you, – you stumped me. I don't, I don't know what I would say. Carabas? No. You don't do chain food? Yeah, uh, chain's not like see, a – that's the difference. You have a much higher standard than I do. It's not higher. It's just less mass produced. It's, you know. You're a snob. All right. I like Cracker Barrel. That's not Italian, but I was gonna say, it's mass. Is that meatloaf? Is that what you get for the Italian there? Or how does that Chicken work? Chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak. 
full of surprises, Mr. Beeson. Full of surprises. Thank it's you for sharing 98 that. 98 episodes to uncover this. Well, I, first of all, I didn't know you were a fan of Cracker Barrel. Second of all, I grieve that because I live in Maine and they don't have them. Mm. So it's a sad day for Brad. That is really sad. Well, if you're in the mood for, say, Guatemalan, where would you go? <laughs> Are there any restaurants like that near, <clears throat> near Nashville? Not that I know of, no. Well, it just so happens that we have some experts in the studio today from here who go to Guatemala <laughs> a lot. You are really a sad attempt at a, at a trend. It's pretty, uh, it's pretty bad. Yeah, it's, it's true. really bad. Scott Moore and Amelia Joy, welcome to Brilliantly Brave Parenting. Thank you. You're here now. You're in the studio with us now. <laughs> exactly. Very good. So uh, speaking of Guatemala – you guys have become very familiar with the culture and the people of Guatemala over the last few years. Mm. And um, tell us, tell our audience just a little bit about how that happened. Sure. Uh, we were married back, way back in the last century, <laughs> uh, in 1997. Mm -hmm. um, we tried to have uh, kids for about 10 years. We were not able to accomplish that on our own. And so uh, we decided that we wanted to adopt and um, we looked all over and decided that uh, Guatemala was a great place. It was open at the time. Um, so we took our first trip to Guatemala in 2006. It was January of 2006. Um, brought our first son home, Micah, uh, the, that May, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then immediately got in line to adopt a second son because we didn't want to just raise one Guatemalan child by himself. We wanted him to be able to mm. share his story with uh, a brother in particular. Um, and when we were in country to adopt our second son, uh, we had a friend who was a missionary in Guatemala, and he invited me into a maximum security prison there to work with uh, some gang chaplains. Uh, and they were working with uh, some of the gangs that you actually see on the news here in the United States mm. um, who are really large uh, in, in Guatemala. Uh, and I, it was one of the most frightening things I've ever done. Um, in fact, the, the police don't even go into the cell block where the gang members are because it's dangerous for them. Wow. But we were there with, you know, missionaries and dentists who happened to be working on their teeth. And so I got to meet the, you know, all of these men with tattoos all over their faces. And um, I went back to the hotel that night. Um, actually, I'm jumping ahead because this is actually the most critical part of it. One of those young uh, men and, and his name, uh, his gang name was Snoop. Uh, he challenged me and he said, you Christians are just like us. He said, you follow a leader. Uh, you have like symbols and customs and language. Um, the difference between your gang and my gang is that you have the luxury of being a hypocrite. Hmm. He said, uh, you know, in my gang, if I'm not real with my gang, they'll kill me. So obviously his theology was a little off. However, it's similar to Brad's though. He's... <laughs> But it, it really, it really got me thinking. So I went to the back to the hotel that night, and I held my son. I looked into his eyes and realized, like, mm. had we not adopted him, he, he very well could have ended up in a prison just like that. And then as I sat there rocking him to sleep, I took it a step further and realized it's not a, even a cultural thing. Um, if if I had grown up there, I probably would have made the same choices those young men did with the lack of opportunity that they had, and I would probably have been in prison right there with them. Mm. Um, and so we decided um, we didn't we didn't know what to do at the time, but we couldn't go on with our lives and ignore the stories that we had heard. Um, so we came back home and um, 
we prayed about it and we gathered a bunch of friends and we realized we're not lawyers, doctors, or engineers, we're creatives. And so we decided we were going to tell a story that would illuminate not only the problems that exist in Guatemala, but also the stories of like God's people who were already responding to those needs to rally people uh, to get involved with what's already going on down there. Interesting. So you ended up uh, sort of the, the punchline of the story is you end up with two young men yes. that you've adopted. How old were they when you adopted these boys? Well, they were both eight, eight months when they came home. But, but the hmm. adoption process was about 20, 20 months apart from each other, about two years. But yeah, they're eight months. And how old are they now? <laughs> 12 and 13. Wow. 7th <laughs> and 8th grade boys. Wow. It's a whole different <clears throat> fight. Whole... It's like going back into that prison. Anyway. <laughs> it is. Oh, wow. <laughs> I really put a lot of context around that. <laughs> wow. So 23 years of marriage and uh, 11, 12 years of parenthood. And I'm sure the stories you must be able to tell. It's been interesting. You know, I, I tried really hard. Um, well, first of all, they were they were gifts. I never, maybe I'm just, it's just a blind adoptive parent, but I, I never saw the difference in my children. You know, those are my sons. You know, they've right. always been my sons. Yeah. Now, I take them to the, you know, to the pool a couple times in the summer and it becomes very, very clear <laughs> <laughs> that they have different genetics than I do. However, I don't, I don't see that normally. Right. Um, but, but growing up, um, you know, in the beginning, we, we just kind of made a decision to adopt because um, at the time, actually, we, we, we kind of explored like IVF and I didn't know what, all the details and everybody's got their own, you know, line of, of where they believe. And um, we just came to the conclusion, well, if there's, there's children out there that need parents, um, let's adopt them. Um, so we've always we've always loved that that was a part of our story. But we, of course we joked around when we first met you that we, we didn't know what we were getting into with this podcast. And we didn't really know what we were getting into with parenthood either, especially, especially adopt adoption. Right. Um, because we tend to, in this culture, romanticize that when really um, there's not a lot of romance mm. <laughs> in that process. It gets messy. <laughs> it yeah. Does. There's some I messy. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. But it's, you know, like, like a blood, a, a birth is really bloody, you know, like I don't never I've never seen it myself. Um, or experience that, but I hear, uh, but adoption is really bloody also. Um, mm. but it's, it's, it's a beautiful blood because it's, it's full of life and energy yeah. and God's really taught us a lot through that. Yeah. So there's some violence in birth, yes. right? There's transition that's this traumatic, mm. uh, changes. Um, as you're talking, I can see the love in your eyes for your boys. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Thanks. For those who aren't in the studio, it's, it's pretty tangible here. Um, I, I can't help but think that somewhere in this journey of adoption, you fell in love with the, the country of Guatemala too, right? We did. Yep. This wasn't just two boys from Guatemala. You actually had a connection with the country. Tell us about that, how that started. Well, I took around that I didn't even know where Guatemala was on the map when we first started. <laughs> like I knew it was like Central America, but it's right south of Mexico for those that don't know um, where Guatemala is. Um, and so, yeah, we we are storytellers. I'm a professional photographer, and Scott has done any type of creative, but mainly video. Um, and so we wanted to experience the country, uh, of course, all the touristy stuff, but we also wanted to experience the country like as a you know native. And so we had a friend that took us around to a variety of different ministries that he worked with, and we wanted to hear and experience their stories. And so through that, we fell in love with and 
you know, begin to understand a culture that's different than ours. Um, you know, it looks different, it feels different, everything, but that really fascinated us. And so in that process, um, we wanted not only to stay connected there, but then to tell a story of the culture there. What I, what I love about it is, again, this, this idea of this contrast between struggle uh, and grace, you know, and the fact that, like, Guatemala was a was an indigenous, you know, people that were, um, you know, we had Spain come in, <laughs> create a colony mm -hmm. uh, for hundreds of years. Um, even when prior to that, there was, you know, the Mayan culture was very warlike and tribal. Um, you know, up until in the, in the middle of the 20th century, we actually, um, we sort of, as a nation, helped start a conflict down there because of the Cold War which ended up in like a 36 year civil war in Guatemala that didn't end until like 1996 or 97. So it was about the time we got married that this war officially was over. Um, and, and then now we have gang violence in Guatemala um, because all, you know, the, it's a very, very big issue here in the States right now with immigration. Um, the number one source of income in Guatemala is money that's sent back from Guatemalans in the United States to Guatemala. Um, and so <laughs> when, Wow. When we cut that <clears throat> line off, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong, just just fact. When you when you cut that line, then it creates so much more turmoil in the country because of, they do they don't have the resources and the backbone there to fall back on. You know, if, if people come into hardships, they can very well end up dying because they, they just don't have the support system in place. And so, but in the midst of all of that struggle. They're the kindest, mm -hmm. most welcoming, yeah. most generous people Beautiful. I've ever met in yeah. my entire life. Mm -hmm. People that have nothing will give you everything. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's what we saw. We saw stories of people that had nothing and were responding, you know, in this, this um, you know, conflict and, and trauma. They were responding with very little, but God was doing amazing things through the little that they, you know, had. Um, and so we were really inspired. And so um, we did two documentary films um, telling stories um, about, um, you know, people that had very little that were giving a lot in Guatemala. Um, and through that, we were really inspired, got connected to several different organizations. Um, one in particular was doing an art camp with their community. It's a kind of a slum community in Guatemala City. And we're like, well, art's fun and we're creative. Can we come help? Um, and then from that, we started getting involved with this art program and saw how God could use art as a healing tool um, as a processing tool, as a therapy tool, as a, a tool to be able to discuss spiritual and emotional issues um, with kids that were in at-risk situations that had very little. And um, it was just so powerful to see how God could use that. So we started dreaming then about like, what if, you know, what if we this could be something that, you know, we could, you know, like take to other organizations and do this um, you know, in a variety of different contexts. So that was really exciting to see how God has has um, taken that vision and grown that. It's hmm. amazing. I, I think about the adoption processes. You were talking about Guatemala. Um, I have some friends that adopted from Russia, and um, at a fairly young age, the boy. Um, but they, and great suburban family, you know, like so a majority of this person's life has been raised in, in our county and um, has done well at school. But there was some inerrant problems that were deep-seated. As you're talking about Guatemala, I'm thinking of all the generosity and the good things, but there's an undercurrent mm -hmm. that yep. has existed before 
that, that's been long, long, long standing. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure as adoptive parents, you guys have seen firsthand some of those struggles that 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 really have nothing to do with the way you're raising your kids, but just some of the things that are inerrant with mm-hmm. the reason they're up for adoption in mm-hmm. the first mm-hmm. place. Yeah. Um, for those parents that are listening out there, or grandparents that um, are wa- either walking through that or close to someone, can you demystify that a little bit and talk about yes. those issues? Yeah. You know, when we when we adopted our first son, um, we thought we were the greatest parents in the world because we brought him home. The transition was absolutely smooth. He didn't cry. <laughs> he slept all through the night. Um, so of course, then we sign up for. Well yeah, done, we wanted, Dad. Yeah, we we need. Let's go get another one. Um, and so we adopted a second son, and that could not have been a more different experience. Mm. Um, and it was very obvious. We you know we had done some reading and realized that. Our first son never really bonded with anybody, and therefore the transition was was smooth because he didn't really notice that there was a difference. Where our second uh, son, Elliot, he um, had really bonded with his foster mother, and so and was very cognizant of the fact that his whole life had changed. Mm. And we joke around that you know if babies could like curse curse at you, that's exactly <laughs> you. It, it was very violent. It got so, it felt, felt it got really so bad that I had to go in um, at night and pick him up and hold him while he was sleeping. And I would pray, God, please bond mm-hmm. us because I, as an adopted father, was starting to resent him. You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it's an easy thing to do. If like I came in and rescued you and this is the yeah. thanks you give me, you know, yeah. but obviously. It's not. <laughs> it's yeah. No, I get it. Yeah. 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 And um, I remember, actually, it wasn't until... Um, I came back from, I was in Guatemala producing our first documentary, and I came back home, and he met me at the airport, and he hugged me, and it was like the first hmm. time that I like felt like, two, he had like, like a little over two, and, um, and I remember just weeping in the airport that I'm like, who is this kid <laughs> who hated me when I left just a month ago? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, we're we're beginning to understand exactly what you're talking about. Like our, our kids are at, you know, the preteen ages. And so there's behavior that is consistent and natural for teenagers, but there's this yes. underlying current that, like, if there's one, if he gets mad, if someone, you know, kind of gets mad and has an attitude, they might go from, like, zero to three or four, and he goes, like, all the way to nine or ten. And right. then uh, trying to understand, like, how, mm-hmm. like where that came from, why. And so we have been learning a lot about trauma and even kids that are, you know, placed in homes at birth experience it, you know, whether it's prenatal, whether it's, okay, here's a new word we're learning, epigenetics. Is that right? That is <laughs> um, Explain that so, for me. Pretend like I don't know. Well, and I'll give you like, okay, maybe and you maybe can explain it a little too. bit better after I explain it, but what you just described, <laughs> um, that generationally, um, you know, there's things like if someone went through trauma one or two generations ago, like that's in their genetics and they pass that on. The, 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 well, like hmm. Amelia has read, um, I can't take credit for reading it because I didn't, <laughs> but she shared it with me and I'm going to share it now. She said that uh, research has shown that prenatally, um, even if a mother does not have um, a dysfunctional lifestyle, if they're not making bad choices, they're still raised hormones level because of the stress of having a baby that they do not want to carry hmm. and keep. Mm. that can actually change the development of the wow. child in the womb. And so if you look at studies, because our our son, um, our oldest, um, has been diagnosed with very extreme ADD. And as we started doing research, I mean, there's all kinds of figures, but like one of the doctors that we took him to said that like 80% of adopted children have some sort of ADD or on the spectrum. ADHD. Yeah. ADHD. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, from our personal experience and then reading 
we believe that it comes back down to just a, a mother carrying a baby. In this case, a single mom being stressed out of her mind. Yeah. You know, um, um, in a culture that's very stressful. So yeah. And then and then the term epigenetics would be that 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 somehow changes the DNA right. that gets passed on to the next generation. And when you think about that, even in terms of like the Bible says generationally, you mm-hmm. know, it's pretty profound. Yeah. So how do you, on a day-to-day basis, walk through that, knowing that there is this undercurrent and you don't know all the factors of it? Right. But what you have now is just you have to walk with a, <laughs> a teenager, a preteen and a teenager through life. What does that look like for you guys? Is it just a matter of reminding yourself that it's not necessarily... We have the to, issue may yeah. not be the issue. Well, it's not even walking, really, because it's <laughs> crawling, <laughs> laying on the floor together, yeah. like crying. Uh, no, we. I think one of the things, yes, is to always remember um, that it's it's not a personal thing. Yeah. You know? that they're not lashing out at us. Um, also to remember our own wound. You know, like mm. I have mm. the conversation with Amelia every once in a while, like the fact that, like, I know it's easy to forget, but we still have this wound of never being able to birth our own child mm. and as much as i love my children that wound never completely goes away and mm. can be triggered and so if we're not aware of what our yeah. triggers are then it can come up and so that's step one of, of being just real aware self yes aware and then the second is just also making sure that we and are loving each other you know um and we, one of the things we do and we're blessed that we have the margin to do is like we take time every morning and we'll just sit on the front porch together. Sometimes we don't say anything. <laughs> yeah. Just Sometimes have a moment. Just, just have a be moment. present. <laughs> yeah. Together. That's yep. super, super important because life is crazy. You, know, yeah. you get busy and then you forget what your triggers are. And then all of a sudden you're like screaming and you don't even know why. Yeah. I'm married to you. I don't know. <laughs> why? You live here too. <laughs> I think it takes a lot of like restraint and patience. And I mean a lot more than I ever thought. And I know parenting does... You know, you have to have that. And what we're learning and reacting to their kind of, you know, their triggers, like we need to create a safe space for them. And what that means is like most of the time when someone yells at you, you want to yell back. Or when you're triggered, you like, and I don't think of myself as like an angry, violent yeah. person, but right. it comes Volatile. out. Yeah. Like, I'm like, where did that come from? But to like step back and even like arguing, like there's a lot of like, like a lot of um, opposition and I want to, I'm the parent, you need to, and so we do need to lay that authoritative line, but not come back at it as like responding as a teenager. I think it helps create a lens, right? To yeah. see things through. Like yeah. I know for, when I went through a divorce and was going through some of the hardest times raising my girls on my own, someone explained to me like, um, when they strike out against you, two things, first of all, try to take it as a compliment mm. because they feel safe enough mm. with you that you're not going to leave, that they're able to process so this good. with. Right. And second, think about a scared animal when they're backed into mm-hmm. a corner and they strike out. They're not striking out of anything personal. They're mm-hmm. just triggered and it's fear that's yes. motivating their behavior. Not has nothing to do with you. You mm-hmm. could be a great parent. Mm-hmm. They're just inherently frightened out of their mm-hmm. wits but i think that goes along with what you're talking about yeah. it's just kind and of taking it a day at a time agree with that when i read it when we've gone through counseling, but in the moment right in the moment i'm like no you're not gonna you know like you it's will just, not talk to right me. exactly it's so, but so that's what it is it's like taking a moment just to like step back and like okay you know like i'm not sure how to respond in this moment there's a lot of like i need to think about that i'll come back you know like yeah try to just not respond and i used to think that that was passive and it's anything but that, no. you know. Um, I think so, there's wisdom in that. 
Yeah, and there's a lot, I mean, there's, it's very, very, it's more difficult to, like, not respond sometimes or just respond, like, take it, you know, like, like, really trying to take it down than to, like. You don't you know. have to solve it in this moment. Right. You walk right. away and right. reapproach. So, so is this some of the stuff that you didn't know about? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know about any of this. <laughs> well, I will say, we, we actually, I think that the thing that triggered it in terms of, like, flipped the coin and we said, okay, let's adopt, was we went to an adoption conference at church. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say um, that they presented very objectively. Mm-hmm. They did not twist us emotionally <laughs> to adopt. They just said, you know what, like, as believers, you know, God says we're all supposed to be involved somehow. That doesn't mean you all have to adopt, but you should all be involved, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, uh, we were like, okay, well, let's do it. But I think that's like, if we look at our, our lives, like her mom jokes all the time. She's like, you know, that I typically have a long, I, I take a long time to make decisions. But in things like this, like I came back, I prayed, I'm like, no, we're gonna, let's adopt. I didn't demand that we adopt. I actually no, you were just, <laughs> you got permission. You're confident. You got permission. Confident, so but you like even like confident. asking her to marry me or, you know, um, that's this, good. I think that's the thing is like, you just like, it's, there's nothing easy in life, but you just go, we're going to do it. Mm. And um, we're going to fail miserably. And it's going to be okay because mm-hmm. we have, um, as long as we're okay with failing together and learning from it, then yeah. and taking that pressure off of each other, uh, then I think in the long run we can model something to help our children grow out of at least a little bit out of the wounds that that yeah. that we all carry. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know I think the the part about this story that I'm enjoying the most is that you guys are are sharing the struggle. And you're not daunted by it. Like, I know you have hard days, but you guys aren't in any way unhappy that you're parents. You're like, this is totally worth it. Yeah, there are moments when I question that. (laughs) (laughs) But just for a nanosecond. But that's not different than any other parent. I've learned so much um, about how God loves us. Mm -hmm. And and my mom told me this years ago because we were so excited to adopt our first son. I mean, can you imagine being without child for a decade and then all of a sudden we have this gift, right? And I remember he was, yeah, (laughs) precious. And I remember telling my mom before we brought our second son home, I said, I don't know that I'm going to be able to love him as much. Like I'm really frightened. Um, And my mom said, you know, I really just don't think we can understand how God loves us until we have more than one child because we love them uniquely, but equally, you know, like Mm -hmm. um, we meet that whole idea of meeting somebody where they are mm-hmm. as opposed to expecting them to come where we are. You know, we mm-hmm. meet each of our sons where they are, love them as they are. Um, and we, you know, we don't walk, we're crawling with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. That was a profound thing you just said. That was awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that with us. Um, you know, I know uh, there are all kinds of unique ministries out there. People are doing things in creative ways all over the world. But I would encourage our listeners, if you're creative, uh, if you're in the arts, if you work with media in in any way and you have a heart for ministry, I would check out what Scott and Amelia are doing in Guatemala. Uh, They have a ministry called Authenticos, um, and it is available at their website, which is – tell us how people can find out about Authenticos. Authenticos.com. You want to spell it? It's, uh, it's like the yogurt. It's Greek. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's spelled. Greek. It's the Greek word. Oh, and by the way, we named it that because of yogurt. the the, the, no, the prisoner who, who challenged my my faith. Um, we decided that we we wanted to be authentic in who God created us to be. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's A-T-H-E-N-T-I-K-O-S. Yes. And we'll have links in our show notes on the podcast, but yeah. Yeah, if you're writing that down on a napkin, <laughs> chill. Yeah, you're just okay. go to Don't brilliantly braveparenting.com. Uh, look under this episode 98, and you will have links not only to find out more about Guatemala and ministry and adoption, but also Authenticos. Robert, what a cool cool couple we got here. Yeah, it's been very inspiring. And I'm, I'm appreciative so much of you being authentic, no pun intended really, but with the struggles, because I think that's 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 a majority of the um, problem that keeps people stuck is just not addressing and not bringing it out into the light. So thank you for being brave enough to talk about some of those things. They're difficult and um, owning the fact that you fall short too, as we all do. Brad more than most, but we all have struggles. <laughs> Thank you guys for spending time with us. Thanks for having us. Brad, you know I'm a foodie, right? Absolutely. Okay, I want to tell you about this awesome coffee experience. It's called CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. It is a faith-run coffee culture. And the thing that's really cool about this is that they roast their own beans, they have delicious coffees, and they, they have two brick and mortar, so two coffee bars, as well as a virtual location at cjscoffeecafe.com. Here's the cool thing. They ship their beans, they ship their coffee anywhere in the world, so you don't just have to be in Texas to enjoy it. CJ's Coffee Culture and Community. Awesome. Robert, that was a lot of fun. It was. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> yes, okay, go for it. Why are we laughing? I feel like I'm on the front row of the church and my dad's preaching or something. And if I start giggling, I'm going to get a spanking later. I don't know. You got the giggles? I pay money to see that. No, I don't. Okay. Well, you know, we were listening to Scott and Amelia talk a little bit about their adoptive experiences as parents mm -hmm. and how it, as he put it, it was messy. Um, and then he used some stronger terms like bloody and beautiful and just kind of described as violent. Yeah. Oh, like, your words, but yeah. like it was, it was anything but tranquil <clears throat> and serene. There was a lot of Even turmoil. though what they were doing and in the midst of it was beautiful. Correct. And redemptive and, you know, restorative and whatever, what do you want to say? But yeah. Sounds a lot like normal, unadoptive parenting. <clears throat> One of the most profound things that he said in passing that I know you picked up on too was he said, in parenting, it's not about getting our kids to come to us as we are, mm -hmm. but it's about us figuring them out and going to them as they are. That's how God approaches us. And I was just thinking, gosh, that's very well put. And so often not done. Like parents go, these are the rules of the house. This is the way it's going to be. And and there's a place for boundaries. But this idea, and we've talked about it often, of, of learning your kids. Like Vernon, uh, yeah, Vernon Carter, right? Or Veron. Veron, yeah. Pastor Veron. Yep. Pastor Veron said, he learns his kids. You learn your Study kids. your kids. Study he your says. kids, yep. yeah. I thought that was really profound and, and helpful. But yes, this adoption thing, it's, it's a beautiful story, but it, it's very messy, and if you're going into it just looking for the, you know, I did this for you, and this is a beauty, you know, like there's there's stuff that's underneath the current that there's no way you'd have any idea what you're getting. Well, and so it's taking it step at a time for sure. And I, as as they were talking, and 
you know, my kid, I have three biological children that are grown. I have two grandkids. We had two foster boys in our home for a time when they're teenagers. When you adopt a child at any age, you are adopting the environment they came from in some ways. And I think that's the part I wanted our audience to know so that as you go through a process of adoption or you're prayerfully considering that, that you're prepared to process that with your kids. Right. And, you know, the idea of you just creating the right environment and everything is okay is a bit naive. Right. That there is a process that's separate and distinct from other parenting responsibilities when you adopt. And not to scare anybody because, you know, they you can tell it's written all over both of their faces that they would do it again. I mean, they they definitely know that they did the right thing and parents that do this are doing an amazing thing in adopting, but walk into it eyes wide open. And then I would say the other thing to it is just take it a step at a time. Like there are days that you're going to, you're going to want to kill your kids like you would in any home, but it doesn't, it doesn't override the the goodness that comes from those, those relationships and what we're doing in raising children. So I was very inspired by them. Yeah. I can't help but, uh, sort of look back a little over the last few episodes and see the theme of adoption that's mm-hmm, emerged totally. um, within the podcast that we've we've done. And I've I've noticed, uh, especially in this season, that we've kind of seen most of the sides of infertility. Like we've had the discussion about in vitro. We've had a discussion about surrogacy. Um, and now we have an adoption story. And it didn't really matter which uh, path a couple chose they all had struggle. Like mm-hmm. there, there was no easy solution to the infertility issue. And uh, I can't help but think as a parent with biological children, there's no easy solution to that either. Right. That the process of parenting is in itself a struggle. Mm. And I think our hope in this show would be to help others through that struggle and uh, to not apologize for it because right. it's the way God has set it up for mm. us. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's well yeah. said. So, uh, parents out there, if you're struggling, you're in the club. You you have kids, you're struggling at some point. And, and it's different at different families, the age and stage that's most challenging. Because I've seen and heard lots of different stories about people who've had you know struggles early in their kids' lives or later. Um, I can remember 14 as the year mm. for my kids that really got our attention. But whatever stage you're in, uh, please don't try and do this alone. And please don't try and do it uh, without the support of your faith. That's right. We're really grateful for uh, all of our guests this season. And we're very grateful for you guys spending a little time with us. We're honored. We consider it an honor. And um, just uh, thankful for anything that uh, you might bring to the table in the way of comments or suggestions or questions that you have for us, as well as uh, any kind of positive stars you might want to give. Brad usually asks for five. I just say whatever heart, whatever is on your heart. But um, we do appreciate you. We wouldn't be here without you guys. So thanks for spending this this bit of time with us. And uh, we'll see you again soon. Yeah, eat at Olive Garden, five stars. See you. Be encouraged, parents. You are not alone. In Paul's letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he writes, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed 
and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Brilliantly Brave Parenting wants to be an encouragement and support that parents can rely on. Would you consider liking us and sharing us with a friend? As a part of the Tween Gospel Alliance, we are a nonprofit organization dependent on the support of friends like you. Thanks for stopping by. We'll be right here next week. Well, we're very excited to announce a partnership with the guys that we know from Boise, Idaho, Robert. Yes, we are. New release today. They're fantastic. Very, very relevant for what's going on. If you want to discover new music in the Christian realm, that's kind of the only place to go. Yeah, and not only do they have amazing music and amazing reviews and just a lot of information about Christian artists, but they are creating with us a brand new devotional product. Call it IRL Resources. Do you know what that stands for, Brad? I found out. You did? What does it stand for? It stands for In Real Life. That's exactly right, Brad. Very good. In Real Life, because a lot of times we have these standard devotionals that you know that, that we see, and, and we thought that it would be kind of cool to use their expertise in Christian music, couple that with actual scriptural and devotional thought that digs you deeper, not only into the song, but incorporates it into real life. And so it's a very vibrant and very awesome resource for families and for pastors. Yeah, and so if you uh, have a preteen or a teen in your home and you're looking for a new devotional to do weekly, we have a digital subscription online at irlresources.com. It's very inexpensive. The first study is free to check it out. There's nothing to lose. You should go there and see what's the latest thing in Christian devotional. Absolutely. You won't regret it. We are excited to announce the Storms of Life study, Living Beyond Stressed Out and Overwhelmed. It's a great subtitle, Living Beyond Stressed Out and Overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, at this point, we know that students are stressed. And for parents and pastors, it's important to know what are the top three things that are really on the minds of our kids. So Brad, walk us through what they can expect from the Storms of Life. This is an eight-week study. It has uh, video insights. It has uh, presentations from a actual youth retreat with junior high and high school students. These kids are going to learn about how their faith can help them fight back the stress that they're living with every day at school. Check it out on iShineLive.com.